Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan, Rockefeller Center, New York City, Newsstand Studios. Joined as usual with John over here in front of me. How you doing? Doing great, thanks. Yeah? 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 yeah. yeah. Holding it up strong? Yeah, as yeah. always. Yeah, yeah. yeah. trying to. Yeah. yeah. Chefing it. Yeah. Still. Doing it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Grooving, moving. Yeah, loving yeah. busy summer. It's great. Oh, it's a God. Lot of fun, yeah. New York City is summertime. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Uh, got uh, Joe Hazen rocking the panels. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Yeah. yeah. Looking good over here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm soupy, real soupy today. Yeah. Saw some guys moving a refrigerator down the street, and I was like, I was biking past them. I was feeling like all soupy, and I'm like, that's real soup right there. <laughs> Put that soup in the fridge when you're done. Oh. Nasty. You know how like there's these hills in Manhattan? And they're like on that big hand truck and they're wheeling this giant rich person fridge up the street and it's like up a hill, but the sidewalk's all F so they can't be on the sidewalk. So yeah. they're in the street. So there's a truck behind them laying on the horn uh-huh. and they're just yeah. staring at the ground with sweat dripping yeah, off their faces. Miserable. Yeah, baby. Ugh. It's very musical. Yeah, that's why we live here. <laughs> yeah. It's for that kind of Love stuff. It. You know, I have to say, nothing's more convenient than New York City. Am I right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> New York City is a great place if you have a lot of money and don't have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Very good way of putting it. Yeah. Very accurate. Yeah. Uh, coming to us from, I believe, Stanford, Connecticut, on the coastline of the uh, sound, we got Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. And it's not it's not very windy, so you I, must be okay, right? Jack and I are trading places when, Jack? Like, next week? The week after. Uh, yeah, like the 21st or 22nd, we'll be trading places. So, Which one of you is Nick Nolte and which one of you is Eddie Murphy? <laughs> oh, God, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. I don't do blackface. Wow. So, <laughs> wow, so you're saying that Jack does. That's what's messed up about that. Wow. You're hmm. also not technically white. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that makes it fine, is what you're saying. Both of you were saying some really effed up stuff, so just gonna leave it at, leave it at that. And uh, Jackie Molecules, uh, how's uh, how's Los Angeles doing? It's great. Yeah, yeah, it is very good. I uh, very quickly, I'll say, I, I very recently with my girlfriend went to go see our friend Austin Henley at Cato Restaurant. Um, I interviewed him for a story I'm doing on NA drinks. And went and had the tasting menu at Cato with his NA pairing, which was really, really, really good. He's doing some super interesting things there. Now, I know we discussed with him on the show. I think on the show we discussed with Austin. Wasn't he on the show? Didn't we discuss oh, with him? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I asked him why it was called Cato. Why is it called Cato again? Oh, I couldn't tell you that. But it's not named after the racist character from the Pink Panther series. And no. as a follow-up, <laughs> has Peter Sellers ever been in a movie that wasn't, like, completely crazy racist? <laughs> I mean, was being being there, wasn't? I'm sure it was. I'm sure if we went and we rewatched it, there'd be some crazy wow. racism in it. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was the 70s. I also can't remember Strangelove, whether there was anything, like, out of the ordinary in Strangelove. Anyway. And uh, in the upper, upper left, left, Quinn, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. All right, so since we've last been uh, all together, it's been Canada Day. Which, which when's Canada Day, Quinn? That's uh, July 1st. Mm. They're like, when can we put a day that's like a little bit before the American one, just a little bit, but kind of on the same day? Is that what happened? Is that how Canada Day started? I mean, I think there was like, when we asked nicely, like, Hey, Britain, can we just, like, be regular? And they're like, sure. They're like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. They're like, please. All right. Yeah. And you and you made it, you arranged it so it would be, like, three days before our thing, so you could be like, well, our, our crap comes first? I guess. And do you have fireworks on Canada Day? Uh, yeah, usually. I don't think there were many... This year, because of wildfires. Hmm. Hmm. I swear. Not in my area. But they have wildfires over on your side, too. Is all of Canada on fire right now? I think less so than a few weeks ago. Yeah. But, yeah. 
Yeah, the smoke made it all the way over to Europe. I swear, I was I just flew back from Copenhagen like two days ago. I flew back on Sunday. Uh, more on that in a minute. Uh, but uh, I could swear I saw like a tinge in the sky when I was flying from your from your fire. Still, yeah. Well, you know, uh, you gotta love a worldwide climate catastrophe. Uh, all right. So now is the time, since it is a No Tangent Tuesday, when we discuss anything that's happened over the past week or so that was interesting from a food perspective. Anything? What do you guys got? Nothing. Man, nothing, yeah. Well, wow. you know, I had the, the NA drinks at Cato. All right. And one Ta- thing that Austin was doing that was super, super interesting was steeping um, NA wine in kombu to add body to it. How was and, it? And uh, it was... It was really good. It was, mm. I'm, I don't generally like NA drinks. I think they usually just taste like juice or kombucha. But um, he's doing some really interesting things. Can I and ask I you a, out the bartender? Can uh, I ask you a separate question? Yeah. Do you like kombucha? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I do. But you, like, you, if I'm having a pairing with a meal, I don't really. I'm not craving kombucha. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I generally, and I think it's because of my. Honestly, it's because of my age, but like uh, in general, I like like vinegary things on their own. But with food, I generally don't want like a vinegary beverage, and most kombucha shade like pretty hard on the acetic side. And uh, yeah, I just don't necessarily want that with my food very much. What if you made? That's how that's how I feel. What if you made kombucha with kombu? To get the same effect. I get your joke, kombucha, but yeah. uh, I don't know. It's just not my thing. It's not not what I, mm. you know, when I want to add body to something, I just cheat and add glycerin because, you know, that's me. Glycerin, straight up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or like, straight up. you know, I mean, like, I mean, the thing is you'd have to choose a very, you know how like some wines have like a seaweed hit to them, right? So you could choose a wine like that to hit up, but most of the time I don't necessarily want a big old seaweed kelpie hit on, it, on you, my... You didn't really taste that, though, weirdly. Uh, it didn't... The, t- the flavor didn't come through as much as sort of just like the body, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. You ever walk down the beach, Jack, and just pick up a piece of kelp and go... All the time. Yeah. I mean, I actually have, but... You know. Anyway... Uh, I mean, I like kelp's a good product, man. In yeah. fact, I have some kelp for us to taste in a minute. You know, That's those true, of us yeah. that are in the studio, we got yeah. some some kelp action. Oh. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Dave, I can't allow that. Wow. Yeah, we got the we got the 2001 Space Odyssey. How what was it? How what? Nine thousand? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my God. Oh my God. We got to get Harold McGee, who goes by Hal, to a lot of people. Oh. Right. I don't call him Hal. Stas, you call him Hal. No, no. No, me either. But, like, I think you need to, if you're over 60, you call him Hal. If you're over 60 and you're actually a friend of his, you call him Hal. If you're under 60 and you're, and you're a friend of his, you think you call him Harold. You know what I mean? You think that's how it works? Is that what you're going to do when you turn 60? No, no, the age keeps going. Uh, okay. The age just keeps shifting up. Gotcha. I think. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where, like, if you were born before this day, must be this high to ride this line. You know, whatever whatever it is. Okay. Oh, speaking of which, I was in Copenhagen for the past uh, couple of days. A lot of food crap to report. You want to hear some... Have you ever been to Copenhagen? No, I have not. Any of you other fools ever been to Copenhagen? Nope. All right. No. No. no, no so, first thing, Danish is a weird language because it sounds kind of like a cross between German and Swedish. So I texted Nils, Norin, you know, and I was like, Nils, I said, what the hell's wrong with these people? They sound, they sound kind of bananas. And he's like, yeah, growing up, we used to make fun of them because they all sound like they're talking with porridge in their mouth. So you can't pronounce anything like either like it's Swedish or like it's German. It's something in between. So I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce the Danish words. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So the Danish national dish is this thing it's it's like s it's like it it looks like it's sm- like smorbrod if you were if you were english but it's like smorbrod or something like that you know what i mean like anyway and it's like this buttered like dense rye bread with like stuff on right and like their big thing is like lunch right so you get it at lunch 
at like with beer and like a little schnapps glass, right? So there's this place we went for that called like I'm not gonna get that. I don't know whether they pronounce it schnapps like the German or like snaps. I don't know what the heck the Danish do, but the place is called Tolden Schnapps, like customs and schnapps. And you go in there and you order your your three things, right? So then I got the I started with the herring because of course I started with herring, right? And then I moved on to the the crispy pork, which I'm gonna talk about in a minute because they have a genius. The Danes have a genius crispy pork situation, which I think I can't believe that a I didn't already know about it, and b that not everyone in the world has taken this on. Like, for any of you, like, uh, Italian-adjacent folks out there, this would be a genius way to do a porchetta. Like, this should be the way porchetta is done. All right? So, Quinn, take note. Ready? Okay. Take, are you taking note? In my mind. Okay. So, uh, what they do is they they take a, a pork chop, they do like a pork chop, loin chop, right? Not the tenderloin, please, right? And then uh, they take the bone off. Then they, instead of doing like pricking the skin or scoring it like with an X-hatch pattern, they cut long strips into the skin down into the fat. At the interval, they're going to slice it later. Are you with me on the genius yet? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they basically pre-cut it, not into the meat, but like all the way down three quarters through the fat. We're getting fishbowl. Hey, guys. And pictured and filmed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You you cut cut down through the fat uh, almost to the meat, and then you salt the bejesus out of it, right? And then sometimes people put like herbs in between the slices and stuff. Then you put it in a dish over liquid, and you roast it like you're doing like a roast pork. And then at the end, you crank it so that the skin gets all crackly and crispy and delicious, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then when you take it out, you just slice right into the lines that you pre-cut in the skin. You're not going through anything crispy with your knife, so you get perfect slices with a perfect layer of crackling over the whole thing. Is that not the smartest thing of all time? Yeah. It's clever. It's amazing. Yeah. So, Quinn, when are you going to make... I know know this is the kind of thing you like to do. When are you going to make a porchetta and do the the Danish porchetta? Do Danish cut porchetta? Uh, I'll put it on the list. Uh... I'm sorry. That's got to get bumped way up on the list. I mean, I mean, first of all, is there any living person who eats pork who doesn't like porchetta? No, but no. And is there anyone who doesn't kind of wish that every slice had the magic, the magic skin on it? I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. So Quinn, I mean, like, I don't know. This seems to me to this needs to get bumped up. You know, you know. I think above lactic acid, gel, uh, lactic uh, lactose gelato. I think this needs to get bumped above lactose gelato. I mean, the lactose gelato is done. Okay. How was the lactose gelato? Oh, no, I'm not pure lactose. I mean, oh. for those of you I mean, that don't I'm, know, I'm Quinn's obsessed with using yeah. lactose as an actual sweetener. He's like, I'm not yeah. allergic to it, so I'm just going to jack this with as much lactose as a human, literally, literally as much lactose as is humanly possible, right? In, into no, his. No, not as much. So you think you could I mean, add more without it? Because like people don't put lactose into, people don't add. In fact, people like there's a maximum amount of milk powder, dry milk powder, that people will put in to dope up the solids of an ice cream because they're worried that too much lactose is going to cause uh, sanding, crystallization. Uh, so they don't do it. But Quinn is like, I'm going to push the lactose as far as I can go. And can you tell any difference? Are you like, man, I wish everything on earth was sweetened with lactose? No, not everything, but I think it's a good flavor. I also, again, vehemently disagree with every reported sweetness number for lactose. But every sweetness number ever reported for anything is wrong. I, I, I know. But didn't we go through like this on the air really a couple times wrong. ago? I know, but like every single thing is wrong. Like they're all wrong. Unless somebody said we did a test of all of the sweeteners at the concentrations of interest in the vehicle of interest at the temperature of interest. That's the only time it makes sense. Right. So like because the relative sweetness, first of all, the absolute sweetness of sucrose changes with temperature and the relative sweetness of sucrose to other things changes also as temperature and also their absolute sweetness changes as a function of temperature. So it's like, and concentration. So the, the, the more concentration there is on a sugar, 
right, the closer it gets in sweetness to sucrose on a concentration percentage basis. So in minor amounts, I'm sure lact- the lactose numbers are probably correct. And in huge amounts that are over, way over and above any sort of number that any normal person puts into their ice cream, then I'm sure the numbers are completely wrong. I think they're rolling in trace numbers as well, though. All right. You know, report, report back, man. Report back. You got to report well, back. Again, Everyone else is working on another problem, getting rid of the lactose. And Quinn's like, I'll buy your lactose. You get rid of your lactose, I'll take it. I'll take it by the truckload. Yeah. Yeah. Lactose, man. Hey, speaking of lactose, I discovered something a little disconcerting before I get back to uh, Danish mm. McDane land. Uh, la- the lactic acid powder that you buy that I've been recommending people to buy for years is garbage. Uh, it is not pure. So, and here's what's fun. You want to know the fun fact? Yeah. The fun fact is, is that it's not pure, it's not impure by a known amount. So, like, the lactic acid powder that Modernist Pantry sells, I think, is a higher purity than the one that you get at Calustians. The one at Calustians, because I was doing acid percentage tests, like, you know, I was making, like, little, like, uh, uh, you know, water, sugar, acid mixes for DAX to test out, and I couldn't get any reasonable lactic acid percentage to be equi-sour, right, to, uh, you know, tartaric, malic, citric on their own, right? And I was like, what the heck's going on? And then it struck me. Lactic acid is not, is not going to form crystals, right? But whenever you make champagne acid, which is a mixture of tartaric acid and lactic acid, it always forms crystals in the, in the acid in the fridge over time and causes problems when you're carbonating, right? And what happens is they jack it with calcium lactate and they don't tell you how much. Hmm. So... Until people start writing, I'm going to call Modernist Pantry or Quinn, text them, tell them to write the, per- the actual percentage of what their product of lactic acid is. Because otherwise, I'm going to have to recommend that everyone go buy the liquid lac- lactic acid, which is what I now have to do. Lactic acid, 80, 88%. But what a pain in the butt. What a pain in the butt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, uh, just sucks. Yeah. And why calcium lactate? If you have to put some sort of filler in it, why not just like... I don't know, maltodextrin or something. I don't know, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Absurd. Yeah. Jerks. Problem we can all relate to. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyone that does acid <laughs> yes. adjusting. You know. they, uh, if anyone on earth can relate to it, it's our audience. <laughs> you know true. what I'm saying? That's true. Uh, yeah. All right. So also I tried their, get this, they call this a French hot dog in, mm. in Copenhagen. So they take this kind of, yep. I, I'm going to throw some scare quotes around it, baguette, right, with a hole in it. Right, it's the most suggestive thing in the world. So, it like, really you ask for a French hot dog, <laughs> and they're like, you know, and you and their hot dogs are like super longs. They're like super long hot dogs. You know, what I mean, not like a regular ballpark Frank. Super longs, and they're like, I'm like, they're like, what, what, what sauce do you want? I'm like, I don't know. How am I supposed to take it? And they're like, locals get the mayo. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So they take this freaking baguette and they shove the 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 sauce in and they go and then they take the hot dog and they go right into it and the mayonnaise until the mayonnaise comes out of the freaking hole next to the hot dog and i'm like really 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 that's my least favorite part about that style of hot dog is the condiment just like comes out of that hole constantly there's nowhere for it to like overflow to it just becomes really messy yeah i mean i don't know why they don't have like two halves and they're like and you can and go boom like 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 you're putting it in a sheath like bang so it's just baguette like just baguette because somebody commented on the instagram yo what's up with uh that whole tip no meat i mean no sauce yeah 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 anyway uh what else what else to have there oh yeah i went to noma Uh, yeah fancy yeah super fancy so i went to noma 2.0 uh we were first in, last out. So we showed up a little before six and didn't roll out of that place until midnight. Damn. And uh, I have to say, I went in kind of wanting to be a little bit of a hater. And oh, wow. it was a fantastic, oh, fantastic, 
crazy fantastic meal. It was nuts. That was going to be my off-air question for you was what's your thought, but it sounds like it was very, very good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so here's the thing. Now, Jen took pictures of every course. I didn't because I'm not pulling my camera out at at a free game at a restaurant, right? But she took pictures of every course. Is it okay for me to post a picture of all the courses, you think? Of course. Yeah? Yeah, why not? I don't know. So maybe I'll do that. I'll post a picture of, of all the courses. But, I mean, I've been to plenty of tasting menus in my life and I've been to plenty of like kind of over the top places but I haven't been to one of the places where the staff to guest ratio is basically one to one. Oh wow. Yeah. They have like 80 something people that work there you know mm-hmm. and they do 80 covers. <laughs> or 80 something covers. Yeah. So when you go there it's on the very, it's the very edge, of like it's like on the water, kind of with like a big garden thing in in Copenhagen, northern part of Copenhagen, and uh, you come into a greenhouse and you sit and they give you a pear apple quince cider to sit and you're sitting in the greenhouse while you get ready. When you go to the bathroom, a person takes because I've been walking around all day, like well, I've been walking all day, so I'm gross as hell. I'm like I want to go freshen up. So I go to the bathroom, and the person who takes me to the bathroom is waiting for me when I leave. And I was like, "Oh Jesus! Oh my God!" <laughs> so like, uh, like certain le- like of this high high level yeah. service stuff kind of gets to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then when they took us into the dining room, the entire and of course it's all beautiful because this was built for Noma, yeah. Noma Tuna. When you go in, and of course the kitchen's crazy beautiful. Although I I'm I heard that the hoods don't work as well as they want. So they do frying in a different room because the hoods are non-visually invasive, so they're up on the ceiling. Uh, okay. And the extraction, they don't like the extraction enough to do... Uh, frying in there. Yeah, yeah. So you go in, and then the entire staff is lined up when you go in welcoming you. And again, I'm like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you sit, man, and, like, we did, the, of course, we did the wine pairing, and, they, of course, they have, just have crazy bananas crazy banana stuff like to give you some ideas like um they pick all these beach roses and then they put like a a gelée into the beach rose that uh has raspberry that they get there the actual combination and and they they move all of the thorns and everything in it so that you just pick up the rose and, and eat the whole thing like with the with the leaves you grab it like it's a straw like a strawberry and you eat it but it's not like a like a rose from the supermarket it's like if you ever picked up a beach rose, it'll like rip your fingers apart because of all the thorns. So they strip it all off. Kind of tasted like Ispahan, actually. You know that flavor, Pierre Mays, like yeah. Ispahan, which is lychee, raspberry, and rose. Okay. It's like one of his famous flavors. It's delicious, frankly, Ispahan. Yeah. So I was like super psyched. Stuff like that. They they cooked a pine cone for like eight billion years until you could eat the pine cone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they served that on the end of like perfect like trefoil like um, pine. Like thing, they had a lot of pine actually. They did a, a an early pine needle butter to like, di- and they did uh, locally grown bamboo, which is real thin that they shaved off to make look like asparagus. But they put the outside of the bamboo as a handle, and you dip it into this like spring pine needle butter. And I was like, this is real good. This is real, <laughs> this is real, real good. You know what I mean? Like when they they did a a course which was. Uh, you know earmuffs stars, but they like ramp leaves, pickled ramp leaves, which they've been doing for years. But on the inside, they had some uh, uh, barley miso that they had made with barley, and they bring out the big, you know, uh, ko- koji rather, not miso. Uh, they bring out the big like barley koji mat that looks like a quilt, and they have it in front of you while you're eating, and you know, and the thing that they skewer the pine cone on, they shave off the they shave off the bark on the one section, so it's like a perfect toothpick, and then they angle the end perfectly so that it's like there's n- there's no friction or anything. Everything is all perfect. His little flower soup. We had his flower soup. We had his meringue basket. All the stuff. And uh, Kevin, who runs, who you know, is the kind of new Ariel I think he has the same position that Ariel and Zilber had okay. uh, with the fermentation lab gave us a full tour nice. afterwards oh my god that was probably so, really cool yeah. oh yeah you know what I was like like I said I went in wanted to be like how good could it be and I was like no it's really 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 good <laughs> you know but I understand also the idea that it's not sustainable because you're like is this end times is this what it was like to be like an emperor or is this what it was like to be one of those gilded age weasels or like 
somebody from succession that can just have whatever they want whenever they want it. It's like, it's because it's not reasonable to have that many people working on the problem of your dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, in life, I mean, I was super happy to be there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I was blessed to be there. But it was like, you know, anyway. So I brought some of their, their uh, Noma Project stuff to. Uh, Exciting. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's taste it up. All right. So this is. Uh, this is their, and I'll, I have, uh, I brought stuff I have copies of, so you can take these uh, with you to the oh, restaurant, nice. John. Thank yeah. you. So this is a Dashi uh, RDX, and so this is a mixture of, uh, what is it? It's kombu, tell your boy Austin, our boy Austin. Uh, kombu dashi, katsobushi, sake, uh, and like their mushroom garum that is then kind of reduced out. And I'm also just tasting it for the first time, so. Joe, you want a little taste of this here? Sure. Yeah, I don't know how much you want. We got more if you need. But I think they're starting to sell this. I think this is the kind of stuff they're going to be working on when they shut down the restaurant proper. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you guys taste first. Tell me what you think. It's real syrupy. It's got like the consistency of like a mid-grade uh, balsamic. Like, yeah. And it's I think good. That one is already for sale, or it will be very soon. Yeah, but I mean, in other words, that's what they're going to do for a living because they're not going to have a restaurant anymore. Yeah. That's real good. Yep. That's really good. So, nice balance of sweet. Yeah. it To me, it is a finishing product in that you'd want, like a, it's not like a super salt punch in the face, so you're not using it to season. You're using it more as like a flavoring. What do you guys think? Yeah, instead of like round things out. Yeah. <laughs> like that sweetness back there too. Right. Right. Yeah. It's got like almost like a, a mirin level of sweetness. Yeah. Um, the salt level is medium- Mushroom really hits hard. Yeah, it does. Not in a bad way. No, 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 not in a bad way at all. They did a lot of stuff with king oyster mushrooms. They did a thing where they hollowed out, you know, king oyster mushrooms, what they look like, right? You know, that big stick thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they did something where they cut a line down it, and then they cut out the whole middle pith of it, and then they slashed it on the skin side a zillion times so that you could eat it so it wouldn't be fibery and stringy. They did another thing where they fried these flowers where they only fried the tips of the flowers, but it was real short, so someone had to sit there and hold each flower in the fryer on its own until it was done. And then, by the way, the Danes have a good fried parsley game. If you like to go to a place that has a good fried parsley game, the Danes in there- makes it so good? I don't know. They do it a lot. The the oil is perfect. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, doesn't taste, the oil must be only for fried parsley. I don't know what it is, because it doesn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know how it's like bad fried parsley is like tastes like whatever they fried beforehand. Yeah. It's nasty. Anyway, fried parsley game on point. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so that was uh, no much. What else we got? What else did they give us here? Oh, a little uh, sweet. sweet kelp salt. It's a very kelpy. It's a very kelpy day, folks. It's kelpy, kelpy, kelp, kelp, and the kelp kelps. I didn't bring the whiskey vinegar, which I heard is good. That is salty, but also kelpy. It has the texture of maple sugar. Yeah. You know? What do you guys think? Kelping it up? Like a finishing thing. Yeah. I wonder how much actual kelpitude you'd get if it was, if like, depend. Uh, and this is... That's th- going to be intense. This is going to be funky. So this is beef garum solid. So garum, you know, the Roman fish sauce. At Noma, they make garums with a bunch of different things. This is beef garum solids. And it looks like a cross between... Beef floss and haw flakes. If you've ever eaten kind of haw flakes, you know, uh, that's what it looks like. And it smells like... Intense. Yeah, it smells like... Uh, let me see. Let me see what's... Uh, jerky. It's friable. Mm. Oh, it has a... I know that flavor. What's that flavor? I know that flavor. What's that flavor? What is it? I don't know. But you know it, though. Yeah, I want to say beef jerky, but it's also not that at all. No, there's something cereal. Oh, wow, cereal. Like, there's some, not cereal, breakfast cereal, but like, like, n- not corn chips, but maybe something free. Well, it's probably, free, maybe it's something free probably made with, with barley koji. I don't know what they do. I mean, if, if it's going to be garum, then they don't need to add anything. They could just do salt and wait. But no, uh, uh, their term, their term for garum, based on their book, 
is a goji and protein mix. Mm, I don't know. Anyway, this, this Kevin, one's a little advanced for my palate. A little advanced for my palate. That's such a strong, strong way of saying anything. Uh, but like the um, anyway, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin was a, a dream. Uh, Ariel put us in touch. Ariel, I think, got us the reservation through him. Oh, and okay. if you guys, if any of you can, like, go get the reservation. Oh, they, I got to sign a brick and back. Oh, that's cool. And you know, Fabian, I saw Fabian's brick, Wiley's brick. Nice. I signed a brick. Got to sign a brick. Tastes a little bit like blood. That makes sense. Yeah. Like Iron. Iron. Iron Man. Um, when you think of Iron Man, do you think of Downey or do you think of um, of um, the song? Downey, probably. I do the song. Yeah. I am Iron Man. That's all I think of. I guess you're on my edge again. What do you say? So that song does rock. It really is good. Even Dax it's loves really that song. Good. Every once in a while, Dax will come by. Nobody wants him. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man. I met Tom, uh, 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 Tony Iommi in in South of France eating dinner once. Yeah, what happened? I I I, I, I just had to come over and say hi and uh, thank you. <laughs> he was super cool. Super cool. He was eating strawberries. Strawberries. Yep. All right. I like that. Oh, I'll tell you what's weird. The Pellegrino makes the beef garum pop. It does, yeah. I just noticed that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, a big thanks out to the uh, Noma crew, and yeah. uh, definitely want to go back. I missed. There's one pork sandwich I didn't get to have in in Denmark, but you know, well, maybe I'll. Go- reason to go back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I tried pretty much most of the other things I wanted to try. There was a question actually later on uh, about recommendations for Denmark, but and they have a reservation to Noma, so whatever. I think I've covered and smothered that. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Bought some good licorice too. Ugh. You don't like licorice at all? Oh, did did you bring any to share? No, but next time I'll bring you one. Oh, please. Uh, you know, you know, Lockridge, the little Lockridge candies. You like yeah. those? Yeah. They do one with uh, like licorice plus blood orange. I'll bring you one. Oh, it sounds good. The high, high ammonia. Oh, this one's not an ammonia one. I didn't. Uh, uh, next time I get an ammonia licorice, I'll get you the one. I, I love it. Yeah, I love Salmiac. Those. I yeah. love that. Mm-hmm. I can pound that stuff all day. Not enough like the construction worker who killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, t- tell more. A guy well, used to eat like three boxes of uh, red licorice. Wiley got mad. He's like, "Why do they call it red licorice, not licorice?" I'm like, "Wiley, you got to, got to, got to not worry about these things." But, like, uh, he's like, uh, yeah, he, he was like, I'm going to switch from red to black licorice. I guess he thought it was more healthy, which I guess it would be if you ate a reasonable quantity. But he ate, would eat, f- like, three or four boxes a day. I forget what it was, whether it crashes your potassium. It does something to you, and he ended up uh, on the dead end of the stick. So <laughs> it was not uh, it was not the best move. So if you're going to eat licorice, eat it in, uh, you know, reasonable quantities. I'm sorry, Dave. I can't allow that. Exactly. You guys got to go watch. Uh, do you know that I haven't seen that movie since I was too young to know what the hell is going on? Same. You know, all the chimps with the bones and yeah. the screaming and the... The monolith. Yeah, and they also sprock Zarathustra and... The homie, that's a great tune. You know it, what I mean? It, it, I, mean I, I, th- I think that inspired that uh, that whole intro scene. Was, do you remember that Sesame Street episode, uh, little, little vignette with the moon? It was the capital letter M. No, I don't remember the Sesame yeah, Street. Right. What was it with the yep, yep, yep? Oh, yip. those are the best. I love those things. If I could make my mouth do that, if I could, if I had those eyes and I could make my mouth just go yep, 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 yep. Those are the best. Good times. Uh, all right. Alexander uh, wrote in, and I apologize. I had a huge long answer for you, Alexander, but it was on – I wrote it out last time because I looked it up for last time, and I don't have my old answer. I thought I saved it, but I didn't. But I'll read your question anyway, and I'll tell you what I remember from what I re- read. But I had gotten a bunch of stuff for you, just as you know. Plum Colonel Orja. How bad of an idea is it? Now, Plum Colonel, I'm assuming that what you mean here is that you're going to take plums, you're going to crack the hard, ridiculous thing and get just the actual seed out of the inside of the of the kernel, right? You understand what I'm saying, guys? So, yeah. like, imagine you have that much time in your life that you would take a bunch <laughs> of plum seeds, crack them open, and get the seed out of the, uh, you know, the very 
inner kernel out of the middle, right? Now, all of these things, right? Plums, apricots, all of these things, they're all what's called uh, cyanogenic, right? In other words, they make cyanide, right? Uh, you know, H- HCN is the uh, chemical formula. And uh, yeah, so that's what we're talking about. How bad an idea is it? Uh, I am aware of the high uh, amygdalin content and the risks associated with this. So I am, of course, not talking about just making uh, one from raw kernels, but rather how to reduce them and do this safely. Yes, I could just use almonds uh, or an extract to achieve approximately the same flavor, but they don't grow here, so that kind of loses the point. I read an article uh, on Science Direct about uh, reducing uh, hydrogen cyanide and also uh, a blog thing from Darcy O'Neill, Art of Drink, on cyanide and cherry and got the idea of crushing the kernels, soaking them in 45 degrees Celsius water for 12 to 18 hours, and then do a drying step as more uh, to roast it at 170, 150 to 170 Celsius, as suggested by the uh, uh, Art of the Drink blog. Uh, Do you think this would be enough to make it safe? Will it completely ruin the flavor? Uh, Do you know how they do it with apricot kernels and amaretto? I read somewhere that alcohol neutralizes the HCN. Is that true? I'll just say that right now. No. (laughs) I'm just going to... I'm going to leave that out there right there. No. No, it does not. Um, if that's the case, I might go for some sort of uh, liqueur as I'm planning to make a spice rum liqueur out of Ray and Nephew Overproof Rum anyway. Is 63 AB uh, V enough? All right. First of all, uh, like old school, old school, old school traditionally, I think, although I'm not going to bet your life on it, that like, if you make it and let it sit for a long time, the stuff that does convert to hydrogen cyanide, you can get to flash off after a while if it's been aged long enough. But I'm not going to bet my life or yours on that. Uh, the soaking it does reduce the, the content of that stuff because it is water-soluble, but yes, it's also going to soak out all of the flavor, right? All of the water-soluble flavor. And also, I don't know how much it's going to be reduced, Right, so a lot of this comes down, and if you read Darcy O'Neill's uh, "That's the Art of Drink" that you reference, part one and part two. First of all, these were written a long time ago, so I would just maybe, maybe we'll have him on. We'll ask him. He's a, a chemist and a, and a uh, what's it called, a um, a bar guy. Uh, he nowhere says that he feels comfortable having people make uh, orja out of this stuff straight. And if you look online, there are published works. The, the other issue is is that. In plums in particular, I've seen data on the cyanogenic, right? So, like, they're all rated based on what their potential for cyanide production is. And it can be, like, a factor of 10 difference between different plum varieties. So some plum plum varieties are so low that I'd be like, yeah, sure, no problem. And some plum varieties are as high as bitter almonds or, like, the worst apricot kernels. So it's kind of hard to say. I would say don't do it, Right. Or just use 10 as a flavoring with a bunch of other things like we do when we use apricot kernels that I go, you know, you go buy apricot kernels in Chinatown, which is the only place I know to buy them. I guess Calustians also might have them. And, you know, you put a couple of them in as a flavoring with a zillion real regular almonds. And then, you know, because the stuff that they make commercially now, they just remove the stuff that's bad because the, the benzaldehyde is what the flavor is. And that doesn't require cyanide. So, I don't know. Is this a good answer? Yeah. All right. Good enough? Yeah. Good enough for government work, as my dad used yeah, to say? Yeah, say so. All right. Abuido writes in, hey, what's the make of the Belgian waffle iron you purchased that caused the pandemic and the financial ruin of, ruins of tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of real individuals with family? Just, you know, because uh, my, you know, I, I treated myself too much, therefore I ruined everything for everybody. Uh, also, where did you buy it and is it available online? Well, it's available online if you have infinite money. It is the HVD A57 waffle iron. It is God's waffle iron. It is about 100 pounds. I would get to 220 if you have 220. And anyone that kind of buys one of these should probably have enough money to get 220 put into their kitchen, right? They're stupidly expensive. Uh, I love it, right? And you could buy it online if you have infinite money. I went to a guy named Ray Waffles. And Ray Waffles lived in Staten Island. And I heard that uh, he got real sick. He got hospitalized during the pandemic. And I don't know if he made it. But Ray Waffles had some that, let's just say, fell off the back of a truck. So I paid nowhere near 
the re- small fortune in costs. <laughs> yeah, I paid nowhere even close wow. to the retail value of an HVD A57. But now that anybody says they, they're like, we make Belgian waffles. I walk in, I look at their iron, and I'm like, no, no, you don't. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, like Crampos makes a, an okay iron, uh, and there's another company that makes an okay iron, but like. There's a reason all the real shops in Belgium use the HVD, and P.S., it's also expensive over there. It, the reason it's expensive is because it's so robo. That it, like I said, it weighs about 100 pounds, and it is CNC-machined cast iron waffle plates. That's what we're talking about. But get to 220. Just get to 220. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God, it's so good. But the problem is now, like, I was thinking of writing a, a recipe for waffles, and I and I just I don't know how to make a waffle iron. Let me put it to you this way: it can make a whole like like waffle the size of your head in two minutes flat, crispy, like two minutes flat. I was at the, it, this place in Denmark, and they had a quote unquote waffle iron, Mister Waffle, that makes these little weird like little waffleettes, and it's like it's like like stuff in a squeezy, and you you do it yourself at like hotels. Now it's better than a, a an American hotel do it yourself waffle, right? Mm-hmm. Three minutes. Who takes three minutes to cook a waffle? Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Yeah. It means they don't have enough juice. No. You know, and it was not a you know a weenie waffle iron, the one at the Danish hotel. Anyway, uh, Danish hotel had a um, a weird cheese cutter. Get this, you know, Girol, like for like Tetemwan. Yeah. You know, makes those uh, makes those those Tetemwan flowers. Oh, yeah. They're delicious. P.S. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, wire cutters. Yeah. Right. So I guess. They had this like Danish block cheese, which is like whatever the Danish equivalent of like, you know, block cheese. Yeah. I don't know. And it was a cross between a wire cutter and a G roll where you just put two blocks standing up, two square blocks standing up. You with me? Like like twin towers standing up, right? And then instead of a G roll with a knife, it's a wire that's stretched, and you just you you turn the wire, and the wire's on a screw, so it advances exactly one slice per revolution, and so you make two slices per revolution. But where they didn't get it right is that the the wire has zero resistance when you're not in cheese, duh. And then as soon as you go into the cheese, it gets a, like a little bit of resistance, and that's right where it also has to ride up on the edge of the thing, so you're not so you're. You're putting up some force there, so that's a point to break a wire. But then also, as it buries in the cheese, as it gets to almost 45 degrees through the block of cheese on the wire, you're at your maximum drag of the wire through the cheese. And so it requires a lot more force, and I think people just push it a little too far at that point, and boing! And so, like, at breakfast in the morning, if you got there early, you'd have the little weird cheese slicer which I used despite the fact that the cheese was just meh. I just wanted to use the weird slicer. But if you got there late late in the day, nothing. Anyway, not a good idea. Interesting. Not a good idea. Um, all right. Should I, should I listen? If you really want to see whether Ray Waffles is still alive, send a uh, message to Quinn and I'll have him give you uh, Ray Waffles' telephone number and you can call him on the DL and see whether Ray Waffles is A, still alive. I don't even know his last name. His last name is Waffles. Waffles, Mr. Waffles. And then yeah. and B, you know, uh, it would cost a lot to ship, right? So I knocked it down because I literally crossed the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, went and got it. So I really knocked it down. But... That's what I would do. Uh, I get the impression that he used to work for one of the companies here that had a bunch of them and maybe mm-hmm. doesn't anymore, if you get my drift. Anyway. Saison uh, Slayer, very pedantic, but Dave talking about cavitation uh, got me thinking about other technical terms that are often misused. I've uh, noticed some folks on the internet using emulsified as a synonym for combined and mixed. That does suck. That does suck. Hey, you know what? I haven't tested yet. Uh, people say that it's easier to make emulsions in vacuum blenders. I should test that in the vacuum blender. The reason being that, <clears throat> uh, like, when you're whipping air in, that's another energy interface that you need to mm. create. And if you don't need to create that, like, highly energetic interface between air and uh, the liquids, mm-hmm. but, yeah, then you can use it quicker. Right. But I don't know. I don't know if it's true or not. Got to run the test. Anyway. But that is, I'm actually mean emulsion in that case. 
not a mixture or a combination. Yeah. Uh, I've noticed some folks on the internet using emulsified as a synonym for combined, which I don't think is really quite right. Are there any other terms that aren't quite correctly used that come to mind? Well, I mean, you guys know I don't like dry brine. Like, what else is there? A.K.A. salting. Reverse sear. Yeah, no reverse sear. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sear before you sear after. Doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And by the way, that is the way cooking has been done since time <laughs> immemorial. Right? You look at recipes from whenever, and they've always say, turn it up to 400 for the last 15 minutes of cooking. Some people do it at the beginning of the cook. Some people do it after. It's only, first of all, uh, forward, reverse, makes make, whatever, because whatever, before and after, right? So it only makes sense if your only concept of searing is cooking a steak in a restaurant where what you have to do is sear it and then throw it in a finishing oven because that's your only way of cooking, right? But anyone that's done any sort of sous vide stuff knows you sear it at the end and that the reverse in that case would be to sear it beforehand. The real correct answer is, of course, sear it both times. You know, having tested hundreds of people on it, it's slightly better to do it both. Slightly, but better. I don't typically do it both anymore because I'm lazy and the difference is slight. You know what I mean? Uh... And what else is misused? What, 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 Quinn? I'm sure you uh, get get in a in a um, hot and lathered about this. I feel, like, I feel like sometimes fermented is misused to mean what? I don't know. Just like sit around. Like if you mix something and like let it mingle. I feel like sometimes it's labeled fermented. Mingle. For some reason, you got that cranberry song linger in my head. Do you have to let it mingle? Anyway, the um, I've got I've got one for you, Dave. What do you got? Molecular. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Except for the only correct usage of that is when you're talking about Jackie molecules. That's right. It's the only correct usage. Yeah, uh, I'm going back to Quinn's for a sec. I mean, molecular is no reason to call it. either. It all is or none of it is. Uh, and nobody's like, imagine if someone had like a, a like a a scanning tunneling microscope and they were actually placing individual atoms or like nano cooking. God help us. You know, God help us. That's the next step up from individually frying flowers. It's nano by one, yeah, exactly. Nano positioned. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about what Quinn said. There is one thing that everyone always calls fermented, but it's not. Black garlic? Black garlic. Yeah, black garlic. That's what it yeah. is. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That sucks. And by the way, uh, sous vide is another one uh, when they don't mean vacuum that's yeah. irritating and the reason that I don't like it is because if you use a term that implies something that's incorrect then it also distorts your intuition and so it makes it hard for you to discover new things or think about what's actually going on because you bring with it you bring with an incorrect term uh, all of the baggage uh, of the incorrect term and so it's just a, a bad it's a bad idea. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. There are others. What other ones? Uh, pH for acidity in terms of fl- acidity as a flavor, pH as a uh as an actual measure of the number of protons, totally different. Um there's a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot. I can't think of any others right now. Again, I did have a, a list, and then it was printed on my last, on my two weeks ago sheet. Uh, Kev McHugh, is there any way, or has anyone managed to quantify how much carbon dioxide leaves a drink in the mouth versus in the stomach? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on how much you burp, am I right? Right? But no, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, clearly, when you drink as fast as I do, a bunch of it does get down in there. But once you have taken carbon dioxide in, as opposed to nitrogen, which is interesting, the carbon dioxide will go into your bloodstream uh, because you, you actively transport carbon dioxide and oxygen in and out, right? Not actively, but it happens. Whereas uh, if you burp in nitrogen, so if you consume a lot of nitrogen, then that ends up coming out your butt as toots. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was a case of a man who... 
had a larger than normal volume of flatus as defined by his doctors. Flatus. And uh, it was determined that it was because he swallowed so much dang air. Anyway. Uh, but carbon dioxide doesn't do that. But Kev, why are you interested in this? What is it that you wish to know? What do you think he wishes to know? Why is this a question of import to, to Kev? Maybe trying to poison someone? I don't know. But, like, you can't poison them with the CO2 in yeah, the bubbles. True, you can't yeah. put enough. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Let us know why you want to know. Maybe we can find some more information for you. JPM, can you show earmuffs for stars here? Can you share a bit about the forced carbonation stations from existing conditions? I know it's been talked about on the show, but haven't found any information about what it actually involved. Oh, this was for Garrett, but we did mention this, right, when Garrett was here. Also, uh, Garrett uh, mentions forced carbonations in the bar, but opts for ad- adding soda water. Didn't we talk about this when Garrett was here? I think briefly, but you said to keep it in. I did? For more details. That doesn't sound like me. The way the carbonation system worked at existing conditions was we took a standard cold plate like you would have, like a beverage cold plate, and instead of running beverage through it, we ran chilled glycol through it. We got we bought a big polyscience like like a lab laboratory propylene glycol chiller and ran super cold propylene glycol through the cold plate and then we had 20 proof we bought the world's cheapest vodka bellows bellows vodka it was like $15 for a 1.75 liter handle and we would make a 50-50 mix of bellows and water and stick it into uh, an ice bath with the cold plate in the bottom of it and then we would just run an aquarium circulator pump and just always have that circulating and we would keep it at about minus seven celsius and then all the bottles i I built like a rack so that the bottles would just float to the level of liquid in them and so you just throw the bottles in and even if they were empty they wouldn't flop over because the rack was there but if they were full they would sink to their fullness level and then that's how we would force carbonate and keep everything cold And at the end of the night you just cover it up and let them let them go, and then once a week we would drain the alcohol and put new stuff in because it still got kind of gross, even though it was you know nothing would grow in it because it was twenty percent alcohol. It was still get gross. Yeah. So we would you know pitch it after a while. That good enough answer? Yeah. And then you know we used carbonator caps and you know those rigs. Yeah. 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 Which you know had infinitum we've discussed. Ian would like to. Uh, here, uh, wait, would like to hear my, uh, my thoughts on suppression technique as well as freeze switching. So freeze switching is when you, you do like an old, uh, it's, you know uh, how they used to make uh, apple, like one of the ways you used to make apple jack or like, you know, freeze concentration, like ice wine, you like, you freeze liquid and then um, the first stuff to thaw is, is, uh, is the stuff that's higher in flavor and alcohol and other things and then you throw away the ice crystals you know this technique not familiar but okay yeah all right well it's a technique Mm -hmm. and you know that's originally like when people how make ice wine right so they would freeze they would and then like they would take the crystals out of the ice wine and then every time that it recrystallizes and they remove liquid it's concentrating the alcohol and the sugar and the acid and all this right so you can do that on purpose and I used to do it. I did it. Used to do it back at the FCI, and as a concentration technique. But now, what people are doing is they're doing that and then adding back a different base liquid instead of water. Right? I think okay. that's what they're doing. So it's called uh, what do they call it? Freeze switching. I think is what they. Uh, it's a good technique. You know, it's a little bit of a pain in the behind. They, the guys at Cuisine Solutions uh, do a lot of that, and they built a little rig or a machine for it. But I don't know what suppression is. Like Sue, like Sue, like under pression. Look, look, Quinn, look that up there. Suppression. What's that? Look it up. Uh, I can look it up in a second. All right. Uh, and I'll get back to it. From NTFN, I've heard Dave mention on the show that dry ice can be used to keep pictures of carbonated drinks chilled and carbonated. What's a safe way of doing this? Is it worth the trouble? Did I really say that? Because I don't really like doing that. What do you say? Uh that use dry ice to keep pictures of carbonated drinks chilled and carbonated. I don't really like it. I don't like doing that. I think you said that in very, very old episodes. I mean, I've done it, but the problem is is that when you throw nuggets of dry ice, they form a pellicle of regular ice around them, and they're just kind of, it's kind of a nightmare. 
Nowadays, when I'm keeping things cold, I use just salt and ice because I rarely want things colder than salt and ice. So I'll just, I'll like, I'll make my ice slurry that I'm sticking all my stuff into, and then I'll just put salt. You just got to make sure you wipe down the bottles because um, if you don't wipe down the bottles, uh, you can pour salt in someone's drink. But it ain't going to kill them. You know what I mean? It's not going to be as bad as swallowing a chunk of dry ice. I don't like using dry ice. Dry ice will add some carbonation, but it's not like you can keep a pitcher of stuff carbonated fully just by having dry ice in it because there's just not enough pressure available. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Quinn, tell me when you got that crap. Phaedrus's toe. Yeah. What's Phaedrus? Is Phaedrus like a, some sort of myth that I don't remember? F-A-D-R-E-S? P-H-A-E-D-R-U-S. Who is Phaedrus? Who's Phaedrus and what happened with their toe? I'm curious now. I'm trying to refine my fry game. Plato. Oh, that's one of his dialogues? The Phaedrus written by Plato is a dialogue between Socrates and Phaedrus, an interlocutor in several dialogues. Yeah, but what was the, I forget, Phaedrus's McGillicuddy. See how bad my Plato is? I just remember in general that I'm interested to hear kind of I don't know, machine learning and Plato informs because there's nothing. Uh, well, who was it? Uh, was it Diogenes who famously like hated Plato? I think so, yeah. And uh, you know, Plato is talking about his forms. You know, Plato's forms, Platonic forms, mm-hmm. and a you know, a man is a being uh, that walks upright on two legs. And Diogenes was like, "What about chicken?" And he goes. Without feathers, so he just shows up <laughs> with a with a like a live plucked chicken, throws it at him, and goes, "Behold your man!" and then walks away. <laughs> Amazing. It's pretty good. Yeah, I e your forms are stupid. Yeah. Anyway, but I'm kind of interested, like you know, the whole kind of machine learning versus forms kind of a situ- situ- situation. I haven't read anything good on the internet. So no one's, no, I've not, the internet hasn't served me up a uh, uh, you know modern take on platonic forms and how machine learning uh, kind of theoretically fits into that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. How it decides whether something's a zebra. Have you heard about this? Uh, I forgot the name of it, but there's ways to attack machine learning algorithms so that it still looks like to a, a zebra to us, but the machine thinks it's uh, like a, a bird. Because the machine's not seeing a zebra, it's just running a bunch of algorithms. So if yeah. you know what, if you know the machine, if you know the the learning set that the machine is looking at, you can just look at all the coefficients that it's crunching to figure out whether something is a bird or a zebra, and you can just change pixels that to our eyes make still looks like a zebra, mm. but you can make it say bird. Guess that makes sense. Yeah, logically, yeah. it's weird, but I forget what it's called. That kind of attack on uh, the thing. Anyway, Phaedrus, Phaedrus, and uh, their toe wants uh, wants to refine their fry game. I've read the cooking issues, uh, two French fry supremacy articles, Chef Steps thick cut French fries, and Kenji's thin and crispy recipe. I want, ooh, I wanted to find out if Dave had additional suggestions that he had developed after his 2010 era articles. Oh, so many, dude, so many, man. Uh, but. Uh, We'll have to do a whole French fry thing later. I mean, so many. There's no perfect fry. First thing is, just go to Belgium. If you really, it, like, if you want to spend any length of time, you should go to Belgium and just see what's possible with the setups that are being used in the best fry shops in the world, and then decide where you want to go from there, right? Like, what is important to you in terms of, like, your workflow? Like, my French fry was built around having to finish in a fryer at a certain temperature in a particular place, a particular thickness, but you don't need to do any of the stuff that I was doing if you do it exactly the way the Belgians do it. So there, there's no one perfect fry or perfect way to the fry. You need to go to Belgium. Uh, Alexi, how does donor kebab vertical spit cooking maintain food safety? Wouldn't a kebab cooked uh, from raw notionally have the middle uh, in the danger zone for a long time to incubate bacteria? This is a good question. I don't know. And get this. In Denmark, I saw someone with a uh, a freaking donor, like shawarma thing, that was like three and a half feet across. I walked past him and I made the I made the giant bear hug look and I gave the guy the weird eye and he was like, he just nodded his head. He's like, yeah, 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 big. Big, big shawarma house. Did you ever figure out what that stuff was, Quinn, before they rip us off the air? Uh, yeah. What? It seems like it's just, like, freezing 
fruit or other ingredients solid in a cocktail as a way to extract. Why is that Sue's pre- under pressure? What that understand? doesn't make sense. Suppression? I don't know. I don't understand. Let me know what it is. Uh, maybe I'll look it up. It doesn't make sense. Beef nog. I posted a video. What? Yeah. I don't have a link in my in finger. Discord. I know. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you later. All right. Beef nog Wanda is going to uh, Copenhagen in early August. And uh, wants suggestions. It's going to Noma. I believe I gave you your suggestions, Beef nog. And uh, is that a is that a take on uh, Beef Log from uh, Space Ghost the cartoon from Brack? Beef Log. So I knew you were a beef log guy and not a cheese log guy. But I will say this. When you go to Noma and you're going to be solo and you're going to be at a common table, they have you meet beforehand for a drink, which I thought was nice. Huh. What is nice? Cooking issues. 